Hello. Many of you will know that I have been discussing the three romances over these last few months. And I think some of you may have been a little bit disappointed last time, uh, a couple of weeks back, because I perhaps made some rather harsh comments regarding the grail procession scene in The Tale of Peredir. And I think I may have even said that I find it a bit boring, which is blasphemy, I'm sure, because it's probably one of the more famous elements of Celtic mythology that we find in the medieval storytelling culture of Europe. The Holy Grail, Joseph of Arimathea, the Fisher King, that whole Christian mythology, of course, is... Uh, very popular uh, and many people know about it and I may have offended a few of you by claiming that I actually found it a bit boring um, and it's not to uh, you know I, that's actually still my opinion I'm not going to pretend but I am actually going to be discussing that grail procession sequence uh, in this session. Peretir of course is often considered a Welsh version of Chrétien de Troyes' Percival his unfinished masterpiece, of which there are several continuations and a few other notable versions. There's a really famous German version, of course, uh, in the medieval period, one of the great classics of German literature. And people often consider Peredir to be a bit of a poor cousin to Chrétien de Troyes' Percival, forgetting that Percival, as with many of other Chrétien de Troyes' Uh, stories, old French stories, are actually based on Welsh characters. And we see quite clearly in Peretir, uh, in the Welsh version, that was probably written down sometime between 1150 and 1250, it's difficult to say when, but perhaps around the same time as Chrétien de Troyes Percival, or perhaps even a little bit later, people often think that the Welsh Peretir is merely a bad copy uh, of Chrétien de Troyes' Percival. But in actual fact, when we look at it, we find that there are many uh, unique story elements in the Welsh Peredir that we don't find in uh, Chrétien de Troyes' Percival. That's not to say that there hasn't been an influence. That's not to say that the Welsh storytellers didn't know of Chrétien de Troyes' version uh, and didn't incorporate some of the motifs and narrative elements from Chrétien de Troyes' classic into the Welsh version of the 12th, 13th century. So there has been an influence, but the Welsh storytellers, as with the other three romances, as with the other two romances, sorry, um, did also preserve many what I would call native Welsh or at least Celtic elements in the story of Peredir. And I'm going to read or interpret the Grail procession scene in those terms. I think that when we turn to Peredir to look for a Welsh version of um, the Grail, we're kind of missing the point in that the Grail and the Fisher King and many of the other mythological effects in Chrétien de Troyes' story, these are really aspects of uh, Christian mysticism. Uh, there's a lot that we can derive from that, particularly in terms of understanding the evolution of Christian culture uh, in Europe. But when we turn to Peredir, I don't really think that that's what's going on with the Grail procession scene. Now, some of you may be here this evening for the first time expecting me to give a talk on The Fisher King because I did advertise this talk uh, through some of my channels uh, as The Fisher King's Question. Uh, and that is what I'm going to be talking about. 
But the Fisher King, as we find him in the tale of Peredir, is not the same as the Fisher King that we find in Chetin de Troyes' story. To begin with, it appears as if the Welsh version of the Fisher King in Peredir has actually been split up or is at least embodied in two characters, both of which are grey-haired, bearded uncles of Peredir. And these appear relatively early on in the story. Um, and whereas in Chetin de Troyes' version, uh, all of the events are condensed into one, in the Welsh it's as if they're divided between these two uncles. Now, most of what I'm going to be discussing this evening is built on a paper that was written back in 2013, and it's a really fascinating paper written by A. Joseph McMullen, titled The Communication of Culture, Speech and the Grail Procession in Historia Peredervab Evraug in Arthuriana 2013. I strongly suggest that you go and get yourselves a copy of that paper. It's probably on JSTOR and various other of the scholarly uh, research sites. Please do go and read it. But I'm also going to be taking the arguments a little bit further. I'll talk you through uh, the arguments presented in that paper, but I'm going to be departing from them at some point and going into perhaps a more Welsh or Celtic-based uh, interpretation based on comparisons with other stories. One of the key elements in the character of the Fisher King is this notion that Peredir should have asked him a particular question and that the question that Peredir should have asked him would somehow heal him uh, and revive or heal the, the wasteland that the asking of a specific question is key to the healing of the Fisher King and his sovereignty as a ruler and his land, his territory, his kingdom. Now, a key element in that idea is the power of speech and how words have a particular power and a particular effect on those around us that by merely asking a question, Peredir could bring about the healing of a whole country, a whole nation, a whole people, a whole kingdom, embodied in this figure of the Fisher King. Now, this aspect isn't really explored in much detail in Chetin de Troyes' Percival. It's hinted at there are references to speech being a theme in Chetin de Troyes' version, but in the Welsh version, in Peredir, this theme of speech, of the power of speech, uh, is really obvious. It's really heightened uh, in the narrative, and the Welsh storytellers have even included originally Welsh episodes in Peredir that are not found in Chetien's Percival to try and stress this notion of the power of speech. Now, we need only look at the very, very beginning of the story to see uh, a really great example of this. This is the very beginning of the uh, Shona Davis's translation. Earl Evrog held an earldom in the north. This is the Erhenogle, uh, the Old North of the Welsh. And he had seven sons. Evrog made his living not so much from his land, but from tournaments and battles and wars. And as often happens to those who follow battle, he was killed, himself and his six sons. 
and his seventh son was called Peretir. He was the youngest of his seven sons. He was not old enough to go to war or battle. Had he been, he would have been killed as his father and brothers were killed. His mother was a wise and clever woman. She thought hard about her son and his territory and decided to flee with the boy to wasteland and wilderness, leaving behind the inhabited regions. So Peredir's mother is essentially trying to ensure that Peredir doesn't succumb to the same violent fate as his father and his siblings, and essentially abandons his family territory, the land that would have passed to Peredir, So she essentially disenfranchises him from his inheritance and instead flees to the wasteland. She took no one with her save women and children and meek, mild men who could not and would not fight or wage war. Now this is the crucial part. In the boy's hearing, no one dared mention horses or weapons in case he set his heart on them. So here... Peredir's mother essentially controls speech. She controls the speech context that Peredir grows up in so that he never gets to hear about knights or chivalry or warfare or how to treat arms or how to ride horses. All of the things that uh, someone who wants to be a knight would need to know, would need to be told about, She denies Peredir that. So she restricts, she controls speech. And because speech is controlled in Peredir's presence, she believes that he won't grow to be a knight. But of course, in the context of the story, Peredir is instinctively drawn to be a knight. It's as if through controlling speech, through denying the transmission of courtly culture, essentially, that Peredir's mother is somehow impeding his development, is impeding his growth, his evolution uh, as an individual. Now, that's interesting, that speech is associated with the growth of an individual, with their development, that denial of speech, essentially a denial of culture, impedes the growth of Peredir. That's the idea. Now, of course, Peredir comes across some knights from Arthur's court and is so awestruck by them, he initially thinks that they're angels, that they're amazing things, these beautiful metal-clad and armed large men on horseback, yeah? He kind of falls in love with the vision of them and he begins to question them and question them and ask them, what's this and what's that? And throughout the first half of the story, really, Peredir is continually asking questions. He's continually instigating speech. Yeah, He's instigating the transmission of culture. He wants to learn. He wants to know. Even though Peredir is thirsty for knowledge... It doesn't come to him immediately. He has to learn. Yeah? He has to experience. He has to s- talk to people and they have to speak to him. And this whole notion of speech being a crucial element of Peretir's uh, development as an individual um, is brought to light once again uh, the minute he turns up at Arthur's court. 
So he's made himself the kit and the equipment and the armory that he needs. He's made them all out of branches and hazel twigs and leaves, yeah? So he's kind of a, a pretend knight as he turns up in Arthur's court. And of course, the court all make fun of him. By my faith, said Kai, who is a notable character in Arthur's court, your horse and weapons are too untidy because they're all made out of twigs and leaves. Then the retinue notices Peretir and they begin to make fun of him and throw sticks at him. Then the dwarf comes, and pay attention now, who had come a year earlier to Arthur's court, he and his she-dwarf, to seek Arthur's hospitality, which they received. But apart from that, they had not spoken a word to anyone for the whole year. So neither of these dwarves has said anything to anybody for a whole year, even though they've been at Arthur's court that whole time. When the dwarf sees Peretir, Ah, he said, God's welcome to you, fair Peretir, son of Evrog, chief of warriors and flower of knights. God knows, lad, said Kai, who's the baddie in the story, really. That's bad behaviour, to stay dumb for a year in Arthur's court with your choice of men with whom to talk and drink and to call such a man as this in the presence of the emperor and his retinue, chief of warriors and the flower of knights. But of course, the dwarf is spot on uh, and his partner, the she-dwarf, she does something very similar. She hasn't spoken for a whole year either. And the minute she claps eyes on Peredir, she essentially exclaims a very similar thing. Now, Peredir at this stage hasn't yet proven himself to be chief of warriors and flower of knights, but he's certainly on the way. And it's as if by speaking those words, these two characters, both dwarves, they acknowledge this in Peredir. They see this in him, affirming that aspect in him. So whereas his mother denied speech and thereby denied that aspect of his character, the dwarves don't deny that speech. They, they state it and declaim it in front of the whole of Arthur's court, thereby affirming that aspect of Peredir's character, that part of his nature. So we can already see right at the very beginning that speech is closely associated with Peredir's growth and development. It either impedes it or affirms it, yeah? And this is a very powerful and potent idea. And it doesn't just end here. Another unique episode in Peredir is, of course, the middle section of the tale where he meets Angharad Lau Eirog. Now, I'm not going to condense the whole of Peredir's story here for you, but let's just say that he visits Arthur's court. The dwarves acknowledge him as this great warrior, even though he looks ridiculous. Yeah, uh, And then he goes off and he has many adventures and he does loads of good stuff. And then he essentially returns to Arthur's court and he meets this most beautiful woman. The first night Peredir came to Caer Llion, to Arthur's court, he happened to be strolling in the castle after dinner. Behold, Angharad Lau Eirog met him. Lau Eirog means golden-handed or perhaps means generous, yeah? She's got gold in her hand. By my faith, sister, said Peredir, you are a dear, lovely girl and I could love you best of all women if you wished. But 
This is her response. I give my word, she said. I do not love you and I will never want you, ever. And I give my word, said Peredir, that I will never utter a word to any Christian until you confess that you love me best of men. The next day, Peredir set off. And he essentially heads off, has loads of other adventures, gets to the point where he's actually engaged in combat with Arthur's men. They don't know who he is. It's not quite clear that he knows who they are. He beats them all. And then we come to a final episode in this part of the tale where after all of the fighting, Peredir was called the Mute Knight because people kept trying to find out who he was and he would never answer. Uh, he would never give a response. But Angharad Lawerog has been watching this brave mute knight fighting the whole time. With that, Angharad Lawerog met him. Between me and God, Lord, it is a shame that you cannot speak. And if you could, I would love you best of men. And by my faith, even though you cannot speak, I will still love you best. May God repay you, sister. By my faith, I love you too. And then they realised that he was Peretir. So to cut a long story short... Peredir meets the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. She disses him, says, I don't want anything to do with you. And he says, as a broken-hearted knight, I'm never going to speak to another Christian while I live, uh, so long as you don't love me. He goes off and has adventures. She witnesses him at the end of these adventures, sees him as a great knight, says she loves him. And that's the moment at which he speaks once more to civilised people, those being the Christians, yeah? He's been off duffing up pagans, basically, for this part of the story. But once again, we see how speech is an integral part of Peredir's story. For so long as he doesn't have the love of the woman that he loves most, for as long as he is incomplete in many ways as a mature nobleman, in that he doesn't have a woman that he loves best at his side, so long as he's incomplete, he doesn't speak to Christians, at least. He speaks to plenty of pagans, but he doesn't speak to Christians, eh? not within the civilised world now. So, again, speech is associated with his growth and development as, a, as an individual. The moment he receives the love of the most beautiful woman in the world that he's ever seen, that he loves best, that's the moment at which speech has returned to him, yeah? Thereby, once again, marking his growth and development as an individual. Now, what does all this have to do with the grail scene, the procession that he witnesses in one of his uncle's castles? Well, speech marks those moments where... Peretir uh, comes to complete himself in some way. So with that in mind, let's go and take a quick look at uh, these very interesting episodes in the castles of his uncles. Now, in Cretin de Troyes' version, in Percival, it's as if these episodes have been condensed down into one. And as I said, the episodes appear to be spread over two characters here. But try and think of them as one event. It's useful to think of them uh, as Chrétien de Troyes set them out. It's a little bit easier. 
When he comes to the first castle of his first uncle, this is what his first uncle says to him. Well, friend, said the man, come and sit down now. You will be the best swordsman in this island. So his uncle has just realised uh, that Peredir is a great fighter by witnessing him fighting. And I am your uncle, your mother's brother. And you will stay with me for a while, learning manners and etiquette. Forget now your mother's words. I will be your teacher and make you a knight. From now on, this is what you must do. If you see something that you think is strange, do not ask about it unless someone is courteous enough to explain it to you. It will not be your fault but mine, since I am your teacher. Now that's weird. That's really odd, yeah? First of all, it's worth noting that both of Peredir's uncles are taking on the role of his teachers in the world of men. His mother, at the very beginning, tried to deny him that sort of education. But now he's coming to the male lineage of his family and they're quite prepared to teach him about uh, how to be a knight, etiquette, manners, etc, etc. But this first uncle actually gives him a piece of apparently bad advice. This is not how Peredir should act, as we'll see in a moment. This actually leaves Peredir in quite a weak and incomplete state, yeah? We've already seen how speech marks those moments where Peredir completes himself, and here is his uncle, who's supposed to be his guide in the world of men, telling him not to speak, not to ask questions. And we'll see how this is actually an impediment, yeah? Now, when he comes to the castle of his second un uncle, he has a nice meal with his second uncle, but realises that something odd is going on. Suddenly, he could see two lads entering the hall, and from the hall they proceeded to a chamber, carrying a spear of huge proportions, with three streams of blood running from its socket to the floor. When everyone saw the lads coming in this way, they all began weeping and wailing so that it was not easy for anyone to endure it. Yet the man did not interrupt his, con his conversation with Peretir. So the conversation is not interrupted, even though there's something really odd going on. The man did not explain to Peredir what that was, nor did Peredir ask him about it. After a short silence, suddenly two maidens entered with a large salver between them, a large dish, and a man's head on the salver, so a severed head on the salver, and much blood around the head. So there's a suggestion here that had Peredir inquired about this strange and wondrous event and asked what was going on, he would have reached another stage of completion. He would have again completed himself in some way. So it's worth asking, what is it about this event that would have completed Peredir? What is it about the large spear uh, dripping blood and the large dish with a severed head on it. What is it about these things that would have completed Peredir? 
that would have enabled him to develop and grow, to take the next step on his journey into his full power, let's say. Now, for those of you familiar with the story of Peretir, this is, of course, explained later on in the story. After lots of other adventures and uh, Peredir doing lots of amazing things and there's various symbolic episodes. But ultimately, in the final third of the story, we are returned once again to Arthur's court. And interestingly enough, after Peredir has been out hunting, for those of you who have followed some of my courses, you'll be well aware that hunting is often a sign that the character is about to be introduced to uh, the supernatural in some way, that something magical or mysterious is about to happen. So Peredir goes out hunting, he returns to the court, and then this hideous, crazy-looking woman turns up and says this to Peredir. Peredir, I will not greet you. For you are not worthy of it. Fate was blind when it gave you talent and fame. When you came to the court of the lame king. Now the lame king was Peretir's first uncle, okay? When you came to the court of the lame king and when you saw there the young man carrying the sharpened spear. So the narrative is uh, mistaken here, okay? This is actually referring directly to Chrétien de Troyes' version of Percival, where both uncles are condensed into one fisher king, yeah? But we can see that the storytellers have got it wrong here, but it doesn't matter, bear with me. When you came to the court of the lame king, Peretir's first uncle, who initially told him not to ask any questions, and when you saw there the young man carrying the sharpened spear, and from the tip of the spear a drop of blood streaming down to the young man's fist, and you saw the other wonders there too, that is the severed head on the, the dish, which actually happened in the second uncle's fortress, but we'll forgive the storytellers that mistake too, you did not question their meaning or their cause. You didn't ask. Yeah? You didn't speak and instigate further speech, which would have educated you as to what was going on. You didn't give yourself the opportunity to complete yourself once more. And had you done so, the king would have recovered his health and held his kingdom in peace. But now there is conflict and combat, knights lost and wives left widowed and young girls unprovided for, and all that because of you. <clears throat> oh no. So here, the crazy looking woman has turned up and has accused Peredir of some great error, some really big fundamental mistake that he's made, whereby he actually took the advice of his first uncle and didn't ask, didn't instigate speech and didn't ask about what he experienced in the fortress or the castle of his second uncle. And just as in Chrétien de Troyes' version of Percival, that means that the Fisher King will not be healed and that the land will remain barren, yeah? that it will remain a wasteland. That sovereignty will not be regained. So there's a lot going on here now, okay? This is not so much about Peredir completing himself once again, 
But this appears to be about a whole situation completing itself, that there is something unresolved, not just in Peretir's life, but now in the life of his uncle, or both uncles. The uncle, let's call him the Fisher King for sake of ease, yeah? That there is something unfinished with the Fisher King and his territory and his land. When we come to consider this broader uh, context, we see that speech is not only going to complete Peredir in this instance, but it's also going to complete something uh, that pertains to his family, his uncles, his mother's brothers, yeah? The Fisher King, divided into two or combined into one, however you want to look at it. So... Here, the completion that's being sought or the completion that's needed through the act of speech appears to be the completion of the past, the lineage, his family's past, yeah? That only through acknowledging his family's history, the very thing that his mother attempted to deny him, remember, right at the very beginning... Only through acknowledging that will this next greater sense of completion be reached and fulfilled. So what is this? What is this completion that, that's being sought here? Well, I think in the Welsh story at least, and I don't think this is necessarily true about the continental versions because they go off to do something different with it. They go off to explore a, a type of Christian mysticism with the grail and the wafer uh, that will feed the Fisher King and Joseph of Arimathea and all of that. That's all in the continental stories. But here in the Welsh story, there appears to be something else going on. And I would try and interpret this in the context of Welsh mythology. Um, obviously, it is influenced by and influences the mythologies on the continent. Absolutely, it's related, but it's not exactly the same. And as always, I'm going to qualify what I'm about to get into by, by stating quite clearly, this is not the only interpretation that we can make of this episode of the story. There's plenty of other interpretations that can be made. And I'm not saying that those interpretations are wrong in any way, but I am going to say that this is one valid and I would say quite potent interpretation uh, of the grail procession, or at least the procession of wonders that Peredir fails to acknowledge. Now, later on in the story, we find out that not only is uh, this Peredir's uncle in the fortress where he witnesses the severed head and the, the great spear, the great lance, but that the severed head is that of his cousin and that his cousin was murdered by uh, the witches of Caerloyu, who are a, a set of characters, important characters in Peredir, that we discussed last time. His cousin's been killed by the witches of Caerloyu, and um, his uncle has been wounded by them, and his land is under attack, basically. In those terms, what we're looking at is a family tragedy that Peredir is not acknowledging. He's not allowing that speech to occur. He's not allowing that 
aspect of his family's history and his family's current plight to be transmitted to him. So it's really an acknowledgement of the power of speech in healing families by acknowledging the grief uh, and the tragedies that they live with in many ways. It's really looking at the lineage and the history of Peredir's family and how by continuing to deny the reality of that history, they are weakened and they are incomplete as a, as a family, particularly as a family of men. If you think that Peredir's mother was attempting to deny Peredir the experience of violence, was attempting to ensure that he never came across the culture of violence associated with King Arthur's court in the Knights. She's attempting to deny that violence. But here in his uncle's court, remember his uncle also didn't acknowledge the severed head on the dish, also didn't acknowledge the horrific event that was happening before his eyes. So it's as if his uncle also, even though he's willing to teach Peredir uh, arms and how to be a powerful knight and sword fighting and all of that, the uncle also is attempting to deny the reality of that violence, which is actually embodied or symbolised by the severed head of his own son being carried into the court. Yeah, This is Peredir's cousin, son of the uncle who is ignoring the severed head. So the uncle is ignoring the severed head of his own son, the death of his own child, thereby ignoring the worst aspects of medieval violence. So through ignoring that aspect, that reality that they all live with, not only is Peredir incomplete, but the family is also incomplete by not acknowledging the reality of violence that they live with in that aristocratic culture, they are denying themselves a kind of completeness, yeah? They are incomplete because they do not acknowledge the realities that they live with. That's one way of interpreting the story. That's one way of thinking through the problem of the Fisher King's question. It's not so much what is the question, it's the fact that there is no question at all. It's not the missing mystical question that will suddenly enlighten Peredir and his, his uncle, the Fisher King. It's the fact that Peredir is not engaging with the reality that he witnesses in his own family. Now, that's a really stark and potent and profound message in many ways, because it doesn't necessarily correspond to any type of mysticism, but it does correspond to a very human experience, to a very human condition, particularly at a time when warfare, uh, when young men would often go off to fight uh, and die and be maimed and experience great horrors. Particularly in that context, we can see that this is a really important and profound lesson that to heal that, there needs to be an acknowledgement of that. If you want to sign up for the free Taliesin Origins video course, then please visit the Celtic Source Facebook page, where you can also find other similar bits of content I've created. Just go to Facebook and search for Celtic Source. You can also watch the video versions of these podcasts, image and text slides included, by subscribing to the Celtic Source YouTube channel.
Deal gewoon.